morning. Welcome. It's good to have you all. I know we've got several people out for um, Walk to Emmaus. Several of our guys are there, and so we're grateful that you are here and those who are joining us online, or I know they'll catch up later um, when they're done with what they're doing uh, with that event. Uh, today we continue our Disciple Series, and so uh, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to two places or kind of um, hold your place, Matthew chapter 28. Um, we're going to begin there, and then John chapter 1, uh, we'll begin in um, verse 29 in John chapter 1 when we get there, but uh, Matthew 28, if you have uh, your YouVersion Bible app or another Bible app, I'm in the CSB, so you can follow along word for word. We also provide you an outline that's going to be on the screen and um, uh, as well online, it'll be on the screen there as well. Um, so, we just finished Easter, and we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And with that celebration, um, if you go and study out the Scripture, you'll see in Matthew 28, right after he resurrected um, from the dead, he gave his followers, he gave his disciples a new mission. Um, and that's what we know today. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, um, you may have heard it coined this, but it's the Great Commission. A commission is an instruction, command, or duty given to a person or a group of people. So it's an instruction, a command, or a duty given to an individual or a group of people. So um, you growing up may have been commissioned, you may have given some, been given some commands or some instructions by your parents, um, or even now as an employee, you may be commissioned to do certain things because you're given certain commands or duties um, from your job. And so we see this commission, we see what is called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where Jesus spoke these words. He says to the disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, some of you may be new to church and you've never heard that passage, but for those that have heard that passage before, whether it be one other time or for the thousandth time, because oftentimes we'll reference this scripture, um, we won't necessarily, you know, you may not have heard an entire sermon out of it, but you've at least heard that passage. I wonder if you've ever thought about the implications if these disciples had ignored this or disobeyed Jesus's commission. If they had ignored the commands that he had given to go and make disciples of all nations, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then to teach those disciples all that they had commanded. Have you ever thought about what would have happened um, had they not obeyed that? Because what you are hearing and what you have been even introduced to in the gospel, um, the good news of Jesus, when you heard that, when you came to faith in Jesus, you heard that because 2,000 years ago, Jesus entrusted this message of the good news and commissioned this group of disciples to go and to make disciples, to go and to share that good news. And because these disciples did not disobey, but they did obey Jesus's instructions. If you're a Christian, it's because of that. 
It's because they did not bow down and disobey and shriek back in fear or inconvenience or discomfort or apathy or any of those other things, anything else that may hinder someone from sharing the good news of Jesus or stop them or cause them to disobey. And so we've, I know I've not fully been faithful to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. I know I've fallen short of that. And so I imagine we all have. But could you imagine if that was the practice of our life as followers of Jesus? What, what would the implications have been had those disciples not obeyed? You might not have heard the gospel of Jesus. The, the church might not have grown to what it is today to where that message of the good news traveled around the world and ended up making it to the Gentiles and then making it across the world to places like the United States to where you would one day hear the good news of Jesus and come to faith and trust Him. I wonder if you've ever thought that by your obeying this one portion of Scripture, this one thing that Jesus has called all of His followers and all of his disciples too, and we, if we are a Christian, we are called to be a disciple of Jesus. Have you ever thought that if I could just obey this one thing, that through my influence, someone 200 years from now could come to faith in Jesus? Because you're the product of someone coming to faith in Jesus 2,000 years ago. Somewhere along the line, when this message began to spread because the disciples were faithful to Jesus' command, somewhere along the line, 2,000 years ago, it started with someone. And then it went from them to someone else, and from that person to someone else, and on and on through the generations of people being faithful to this commission by Jesus. And so have you ever thought about that? If, if I just obeyed this one thing, someone 5, 25, 50 years from now, because of the influence that I have with my children or with my family or with my coworkers or wh wherever God has given you influence, if I would just be faithful to this one command, then someone that I might never meet hundreds of years down the line might come to faith in Jesus. I want you to write this down. The true disciple of Jesus isn't a passive observer, they are passionately engaged in his mission. We're not called to be a passive observer of things. He, he didn't call the other disciples. He didn't call those who would follow after um, the disciples to just observe and to see what they are doing. He said, go make disciples and then teach them all that I have commanded. What was one of the things he commanded? Go into all the world. It's like this cycle it's like, go make disciples, teach them to go make disciples. That's what the church should be all about, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And so that's the instruction that he gave, not to be a passive observer, but to passionately engage in his mission. In 2023, I understand the word follow might have a different feel or maybe even an understanding for certain people um, be, than it did in Jesus' day, mostly maybe because of um, social media. You can follow people. You, you can tune into what they're posting, and it could just be a normal person that's posting about their life and their family, or it could be someone who's posting helpful content for the business that you're in, leadership tips, you name it. Like, you can follow them, health uh, whatever, whatever you're into. And so you, when you follow today, 
that could be a passive kind of observation. You don't have to engage. You don't have to comment. You don't have to um, talk to anyone. You can just watch. You can watch videos. You can uh, read updates. Like you can be uh, uh, passively disengaged while following someone today. So it might have this different um, understanding than Jesus's day. Today, it might be more like a stalker. Whereas in Jesus's day, to follow someone was a pursuit of transformation. It was a, a becoming like the person that you are following. It was for transformation. Sometimes I'll have people tell me they saw something I posted on Facebook, or um, recently several people have said, hey, I've enjoyed following your, you know, um, your trip to Israel. And now, now many of these people didn't li like my, my, my post, didn't comment on my post. They're just, you know, creeping around the internet in the dark, watching what I post. And there's nothing wrong with that because there's other people who, uh, that's probably happened to you. There's been times that I thought I liked something, I'm reading it, I like it, or it's funny, and then I'll see it pop back up and there's no reaction. I was like, I thought I liked that. And sometimes, you know, the internet's crazy and it doesn't register that. But, but in today's time, that's what following can be. Some of you are those creepers. Like you never post, like you just watch. You're just there in the background. But that's not what Jesus is calling us to do. He's not calling us to be a creeper. He's not calling us just to stalk him and to stalk those who are involved in the mission and to just watch them. Just like we pray for the persecuted Christians every week and we see them passionately engaged, even in the most uh, harmful of circumstances to them. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, we see them engaged, and yet we can passively watch them and go, man, man, I, I sure appreciate them, and they're heroes. Or we can do what we can do, and all we can do sometimes is pray for them, and so that's what we do. We engage passionately because we believe in what they're doing, and we believe that um, prayer gives us access to the Father who through him, through the Holy Spirit, they have the power to do what they need to do, even though we're thousands of miles away from them. We can do what we can to be engaged. And so last week, looking at the end of John the Baptist's ministry, we saw his famous statement where he said, he, talking about Jesus, because that's what that passage was talking about in context, he must increase, but I must decrease. See, John's whole mission, I mean, it was prophesied. Like, he was a part of prophecy, and his whole prophesied mission was to pave the way for Jesus, to point people to the promised Messiah. John said that it made his joy complete by seeing Jesus' ministry flourish, by seeing more people go to Jesus to be baptized and to be a part of his ministry than it did for them to come and be a part of his. John the Baptist wasn't a disciple of Jesus, but he, as we talked about last week, he modeled the, the heart and the attitude, the humility of what is required in order for us to follow Jesus. And so today we'll see John model the behavior that Jesus has commissioned his disciples to be a part of well before Jesus even gave these words. John was already dead but he had already lived these things out and he had already demonstrated them for us and for those who would come even after Jesus. And so in John chapter 1, verse 29 through 37, 
This is what it says. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. I want you to write this down. A true disciple tells other people who Jesus is. A true disciple tells other people who Jesus is. If we're going to be a true disciple of Jesus, if we're going to be passionately engaged in the mission that he has given us 2,000 years ago, we will engage by telling people about Jesus and who he is. See, last week, John made it clear that he was not the Messiah. He, he, uh, it wouldn't have taken long for people to look at his life and see that he was imperfect, but he made it clear he wasn't the Messiah. He didn't want to be the Messiah. He just wanted to be the friend of the Messiah. And so his mission, once again, was to point people to Jesus, the true Messiah. And this is what happens because we see him fulfilling that mission in just a few different verses, like where he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's pointing people to the Lamb of God. Then in verse 30, he says, this is the one I told you about. So he's telling people once again about Jesus. This is the Messiah. This is the one I've been proclaiming for so long. Verse 34, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. What was John's mission? What was he doing well before Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations? He's telling people and pointing them to Jesus, the Messiah, telling people who he is. Now, I understand in a group this size, um, because just even in my home, this is the case. Um, but there are those um, in this group that like that you, there are no strangers to you. Like, you, you have no problem. You're extroverted. You can go talk to anyone easily. I'm that way. My, my mom can make friends with that wall. Like, if she were here, she, you are not a stranger. No one's a stranger. Everyone is welcomed. Everyone is, uh, she, she will talk to anyone. But then there are those who are more introverted, and, and it's more uncomfortable for you to um, engage new people or to engage them for very long, or you're a little more shy or a little more withdrawn, and so you're not sure how they might receive that. My wife's a little more shy. I'm not even going to point her out in the auditorium. That's why she doesn't like to be put on the spot. And so that's one thing I've always promised. I would never call her up here. We were, at a part, we were part of a church one time, and I told the pastor that, and he still did it. And uh, I won't get into the whole story, but she almost burned the church down. And I was like, it's your fault. I, t I told you. Um, it, it involved fire. And it involved the pulpit. And I said, I told you, um, I warned you, but you um, didn't listen to me. So anyway, she also almost burned her veil. So that's another thing when we were getting married. But regardless, that's why I'm not pointing her out. She'd be embarrassed. Those who know her know where she's at. And I'm not pointing her out for anybody else. So um, 
But regardless if you're extroverted or you're introverted, um, we're all called to be an evangelist. Now, that word evangelist, oftentimes you just relate to religion, to religious circles, to church. You think evangelism is just something Christians do. But the actual word for evangelist has multiple meanings, and one of them is a zealous advocate of something. There's a leader by the name of Guy Kawasaki. He's spoken at some conferences I've been at, and he is what they call a brand evangelist. He zealously markets brands that he's passionate about. When he finds something that he's passionate about, he will market it. And for some, maybe he just does that out of hobby and out of a love for a brand, but companies pay him to evangelize their brand, to to zealously market it, to zealously share it with all the world. And the the, the truth is, and the reality for all of us is, is we evangelize what we're passionate about. We, We evangelize those things that we love or we think is worthy of other people participating in movies. Um, we, Nikki and I have had several friends. We will not take movie um, suggestions from them anymore because they are horrible. I think we gave them two times and it was like, look, we're not going to any movie they say anymore. But they evangelized this movie and they talked it up and you've probably done the same. Um, TV shows. I've seen people who will go, um, hey, I've watched like all these different shows. What's something on Netflix I can binge? And everybody starts sharing all their favorite TV shows on this streaming service or on this channel or whatever. And, and, And they start evangelizing and telling people the shows that they love, that they're passionate about, restaurants, vacation spots, money-making opportunities. I, I've shared those before, you know, share this and your friends can, can save money or make money and you'll make money, kind of like upside for gas, um, where you can save money if you use this promo code. Um, you'll save money and I will too. Um, I'll give it later. But, um, <laughs> but you've posted those things. You've shared those things. You've evangelized those things. Why? Because you believe in it. It saved you money brought worth to your life, and you want to share that with other people because you can make $7 if they sign up and pump gas. CrossFit. Like, you don't even have to ask someone if they CrossFit. They will tell you they CrossFit. And essential oils. Man, are y'all evangelists. Doterra, um, what's some of the others? Like, you know, you're going to tell me afterwards. You're going to say, look, this peppermint will help you. This thieves, just rub this on your toe and like your, your whole life will be healed and all this different stuff. You evangelize what you're passionate about. So yes, you might be shy, but, you, but, but if you can make money by selling this little vial of miracle oil, you're going to post it. And, and you know too, and it's mainly the ladies sometimes depending on what it is. Like you haven't talked to that person in years from high school and then they friend you and what do they do? They instantly message you because they want to set up some party so that you can invite your friends and you can become a part of this multi-level marketing, you know, business. They're evangelizing. They might be the quietest, most shy person, but they're going to tell you what they're passionate about. They're going to tell you what has brought worth to their life and what they feel can bring worth to your life. See, sometimes it's hard to get people to open up and to talk, but if you ask them about what they're passionate about, they will talk nonstop. And I believe 
it should be true for us as well. In fact, I was, um, I serve as a chaplain. I was at this other company and um, I, I work in the marketplace out. It's a side ministry that I'm able to be a part of. And so we build relationships with people. We invest in them. We are there to care for them and, and to help them within the scope of the marketplace and the job. And so I was in this one place. I'm no longer there, but it was a truck company. And um, they, there was a guy there who was just pretty quiet. He was hard to get to talk. He kind of seemed a little bit socially awkward. And so it was just hard to, you know, it was kind of like, good morning, good morning. How are you doing today? Good. And that's it. It's like, how do I get this guy to talk to me? And I even try, you know, conversations that aren't just how are you doing and all that, you know, that's just one word answers. And then I found out all it really took for me to find out was this, this guy. Now, this isn't my cup of tea, but he's into this medieval cosplay role play deal. Like there's this whole like community of people. They dress up like they're medieval. They have swords and different powers and like all the, these are adults. And, and once again, not my cup of tea. It might be yours. Um, but once I found that out, all I had to do was ask him about his weekend adventures, like who he slayed and what dragons he conquered. I mean, like all I had to do was talk to him about that and I would have to end the conversation early and be like, all right, man, hey, I don't want to hold you from your work or whatever, because he would talk nonstop. Why? Because he was passionate about it. He loved it. And so I am more convinced than ever the same is true for us when we're passionate about Jesus. We'll tell people about him. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is, am I passionate about Jesus? Am I passionate about the good news? Has Jesus brought worth to my life? And do I believe Jesus and the good news could bring worth to my friend's life, to my family member's life, to that stranger's life at the, uh, the, 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 the checkout line or whatever? Like, like, do I believe that? Because if I believe it and I'm passionate about it, I won't shut up about it. John the Baptist was passionate about Jesus, and wherever he saw him, he couldn't help but to tell people who he was. There he is, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Messiah. You might say, Nick, I, I don't know what to say. Well, Jesus doesn't ask you to be eloquent of speech. He doesn't ask you to be a spiritual guru or a, a, a professor in religious studies. Jesus just told people, I mean, John just told people who Jesus was, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come to take away the sins of the world. He, he simply pointed to Jesus and told people who he was. And I wonder for you who are here, who profess to be a Christian, what do you know about Jesus? And what has Jesus done in your life for you? How has he transformed you? See, because that, I believe, is where you can start. That's it. Who is Jesus? What do you know about him? What has he revealed himself about you? What do you learn in church? What do you learn in community group? That's a starting point. Once again, you don't have to be eloquent of speech. You don't have to know all the religious terms. Who Jesus is and your story about what he's done in your life is enough. Start there. And then as you grow, and as you can share more, 
by all means do that. But start somewhere. I believe, and I've heard it coined this way, it's the second greatest story ever told. We do a thing called tell someone, and I would love the next time we have it for everyone who hasn't participated to be a part of it. But we, I teach you in that, that your story is a bridge to the gospel. Your story is not the point, but your story is about his story. Your story is about the good news. And that's why I believe that your story is the greatest, second greatest story ever told. The first story is, of course, Jesus. But your story should always point to the greatest story ever told, and that is of Christ, what he's done in your heart, what he's done in your life, how he has transformed you. Start there. John telling people about Jesus made a difference. Look at verse 37. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. So John the Baptist says, there's the Lamb of God. There's the Son of God. And his own disciples left him to follow Jesus. You want to talk about humility? You want to talk about having the right perspective? His own disciple left him to follow Jesus, and he was good with it. He was okay with it. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about his kingdom. It wasn't about his name. And so this following, though, was more observatory to begin with. John declares Jesus is the Messiah, and the, the, the two disciples wanted to give Jesus a closer look. And I want you to understand this. This isn't a point, but for those that might be here, and maybe you've been under that high-pressure sales, like, hey, you got to make a decision now because, I mean, you could walk outside and get hit by a bus and, and killed. And sure, we know that could be true. But the point is, if we don't, you know, you may not come to faith. I've heard story after story that sometimes it's a process of people coming to faith. We want to share the good news, and sometimes on the spot, God might open their eyes, open their heart to be able to see Jesus for who he is. Sometimes it's a process. And there's one pastor, he had all these questions, all these logical questions that he had. But then in a moment, he said, when he believed, like all of those questions, they seem to not matter anymore. Like in time, I'm sure I'll get answers to those, but I have seen who Christ is, and I have believed who he is, and that was all it took for him. But it was a process leading up to that. And so Jesus is patient with people and allows them to come and see. To come and see. To observe. That's why it's important for us who are here who profess to be Christians. Some of you might not be. You might be here to come and see. To see what Christianity is all about. To see what this Christ is all about. That's why it is important for us who profess to be Christians to live like we're Christians to love like we're Christians, to, to honor and respect one another, to love one another, to live obediently to Scripture. Why? Because some people might be coming and seeing because Jesus is no longer physically here, but you are. And Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. You have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live. Christ lives within you. And so others might come and see if it's the real deal through you. But Jesus is patient, and he's okay with you coming and seeing. This should be a safe place for people to come and hear the gospel. Look at verse 38 and through 42 of chapter 1. When Jesus turned and noticed these two disciples following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. 
So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So Andrew and the other disciples wanted to go and see where Jesus was staying. So he invited them to come and see for themselves. Andrew believes Jesus is the Messiah and can't keep it to himself. Look at verse 40 to 42 again. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. Once again, this was more observatory in this moment. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. If you ever wonder why we call Jesus, Jesus Christ, that's why. Jesus the Messiah is Jesus the Christ. And so he brought Simon to Jesus. So Andrew immediately goes and tells his brother that they have found the Messiah, and he brought Simon to Jesus to see for himself. So Jesus hadn't given them this invitation to follow him yet, but only to come and see. So they are the ones who wanted to follow and observe and to see this Jesus. Is he truly the Messiah? Is he who John says that he is? And obviously in this moment, Andrew believes he has seen something as he's waiting with him till the 10th hour or 4 p.m. in that time. And so he's observing, he's listening, maybe he's talking and asking questions. But at some point he has come to believe. And as he believes, the first person he goes and tells is his brother, Simon Peter, or at the time, just Simon. And so he can't keep it to himself. So Jesus hasn't told him to come follow yet. He told him to come and see. He gave him the invitation to come and observe who he is. And just as faith is required to believe Jesus is Lord and Savior, it requires that same faith to follow and obey his commands. It's the same faith. And so you might be in a service or might have been in a service growing up in church or um, maybe even as an adult. And so you had the faith to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the, the King of Kings. He's the Lord. He is the one who went to the cross to die for your sins. And so you believed that. And maybe you prayed a prayer and you placed your faith in Jesus for salvation and you trusted him. And like you can remember that moment, you know that you came to faith in him. But for some, it might have ended there. Now you had faith to believe on him that his sacrifice was sufficient payment for your sins, but that's where it ended. But to follow him and to obey him, it requires the same amount of faith because he's going to call you to do some very difficult things. He, we'll, we'll see in this series, he's going to call you to some things that are going to be very hard. That, they, that if it's left up to your flesh and up to your own um, uh, strength, your own even understanding at times, like you're not going to do it. You're not going to be able to do it. But to follow him, requires the same faith in order to walk in obedience with him than it did to trust him for salvation. Some of you have a salvation experience, but you're not a follower of Jesus. 
Some of you have come to faith in him as the Savior, but you've not decided in your heart that he's Lord. He's not king. So you got a salvation experience so that maybe, you, maybe it wasn't like to scare you out of hell. You just came to faith and believed that he died for your sins. And for you, that's been it. But you haven't applied that faith to go, you know what? I need to walk with him. I, I, need, to, I need to trust him. I need to obey him. I need to follow him in every aspect of my life. So you've been saved, but you've not grown in that salvation and matured as a follower or as a disciple. Go make disciples and teach them all that I have commanded. Do you think he just wanted them to teach them all that I had commanded so they could sit there passively and just observe? No, because to teach them all I have commanded is to go make disciples. It's a cycle. So when he tells them to make disciples and teach them all that I have commanded, he's telling them, if I've made this new disciple, I'm going to teach them to go make disciples and teach them to teach other disciples how to be a disciple, and on and on and on. And so there's obedience involved in that. And so first they had to believe. First Jesus said, come and see, observe for yourself, before he even called them to follow. They had to believe he was the Messiah before they could walk after him. And so Jesus' invitation to follow um, is in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. So it says this, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. See, many people teach this passage as if this is Jesus' first interaction with Andrew and Simon. But Matthew doesn't say that. So um, as I'm studying this, I even had to look at it very closely because here John the Baptist is saying, there's the Lamb of God. And the Bible tells us Andrew and another disciple goes and follows him and wants to go see where he's staying. And Jesus says, come and see. And then Peter, I mean, Andrew goes to his brother Simon and gets him and then brings Simon to him. And so people, some people have looked at that. You can even find it on the internet. They go, well, that contradicts John chapter 1 and Matthew 4. They contradict because here it says Jesus went to them and they were fishing and he told them to come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, if you look at that verse as if that's the first time Jesus interacted with them and knew them, but Matthew doesn't say that. This is the first time Matthew is introducing them to the reader. This is the first time he's writing about them. So it sounds like this is the first time he's interacted with them, but it's not. John chapter 1 took place first. In John chapter 1, John the Baptist says, there's the Lamb of God, points to the Messiah. They go and they observe, they see him, they believe he's the Messiah, and then they go back about their own business. The Bible doesn't say they continue to walk with him and follow him after that. So maybe a day later, Jesus is coming by. They've had the faith to believe. 
They're out doing their job. They're fishermen. That's how they make their money. That's how they make their living. He sees them fishing, and now, because they have had the faith to believe he's the Messiah, he now calls them to follow him. And they drop their nets, and they immediately obey. They immediately follow. So if you ever come across that and you think those contradict, they don't. Matthew chapter 4 happened after John chapter 1. Jesus knew that he could call them because they had the faith to believe that he was the Messiah. And so John 1, back to John 1, verse 43 through 49, says, The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him, come and see. Philip answered, Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked? Before before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So after calling Andrew and Simon... He told them they could come and see. He invited them to come and see more about who he was. Then in Matthew 4, he calls Andrew and Simon Peter to follow him. Jesus then calls Philip to follow him. Philip then goes to find Nathanael and tells him they found the Messiah and brings him to Jesus. Nathanael believes Jesus is the Son of God and he too follows. Do you see the pattern? Andrew believes and goes and tells his brother, Peter. Peter believes and they both begin to follow Jesus. Jesus goes and tells Philip to come and follow and calls him to be a disciple. Philip believes and he goes and tells Nathaniel. And Nathaniel believes that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God as well. Why? How did all of that happen? Because John the Baptist was not a passive observer. He was passionately engaged in the mission that he had been given from the beginning. And that was to pave the way for Jesus and to point people to him. Because John the Baptist was faithful in the mission that God had given him and what he was born to do. Now Andrew, his disciple, comes to faith in Jesus trusts him and follows. And because Andrew trusted, Philip or Peter believes and he follows. Philip then believes and he follows. Nathaniel then believes and he follows. And somewhere along the line, you believed and you followed. Why? Because John the Baptist was passionately engaged in the mission that was given to him. Go make disciples of all nations. Are we doing that? This is one of the reasons why our elders are in full agreement 
that we are better together with the Hope Church family, passionately following Jesus and making him visible in every place that he has given us influence, starting in Augusta. Um, that's why one of our local missionaries, who's in Honduras right now, probably watching online, she already messaged me and said, uh, I don't know if I can have an absentee ballot or whatever, but enthusiastically, her, she wants to vote yes to be a part of the Hope Church family. Why? She's a missionary in Honduras. She's doing this very thing. She's passionately engaged, giving her life for the sake of the gospel, for, for in obedience to Jesus. And the truth is, and we don't see this as much these days, unfortunately. I know some, and I've seen some, but I would hope that God would call even more. But God might be calling you to go to a foreign mission field in order to tell people about Jesus so they can become believers and they can, to, they can follow Jesus as well. There are missionaries right now from Augusta, Georgia, who have gone over. They belong to another local church. And this is why some of you were like, oh, I couldn't do that. They are trapped in Sudan. I don't know if y'all have seen what's happening in Sudan. Like, I didn't hear about it until um, on the news. I hadn't seen it on the news. I knew about it because of a pastor who knows these missionaries and um, have asked us to pray for them um, in our pastor prayer gathering. But I saw it on the news for the first time this morning in the gym. And CNN was covering it on one of the TVs. They, they're trapped in a church basement. They, they went over because one of the local churches is contemplating supporting one of the local churches that are on the ground in Sudan. And while they're there, war breaks out. A civil war breaks out. And they were supposed to have two ceasefires and they both went horribly bad. Um, the airport's been bombed and they can't get out. And so um, they're looking at their different options to be able to, to do that. The, they've pulled the embassy out but they said there's no plans of getting U.S. citizens out. And so there's some things in the work to try to get them out, possibly. But if not, they've said, you're going to have to wait it out weeks, possibly. And so they got them hiding out somewhere in a basement. But they're there for the good news of Jesus. Why? Because they believe that by sharing the gospel, that there are Sudanese and there are people in Sudan who could come to faith and their whole eternity be changed and generations could be changed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were willing to go to a dangerous place, even though they didn't know it was going to be dangerous at the time, but they were willing to go into that environment, into a place outside of their home in order to do that, in order to share the gospel. And that's why a lot of people say, well, you know, the, the living's not as nice over there. It's not as luxurious. It's more dangerous. And that's why people withhold their life from the gospel and obeying this commission and going even to foreign countries because they fear for their safety. But I wonder, what about when the Christians were being persecuted? The apostles were being uh, imprisoned. They were being cast um, onto prison islands when they're facing all of the suffering and the persecution, but they continue to preach the gospel. If they had not, where would you be today? Where would your eternity be? Where would your salvation be? And so for some, God might be calling you and commissioning you to the foreign mission field, but he also might just want you to start in your neighborhood, in your office, in your school, in your social group, and yes, even in your church, 
Because there are going to be people in this church within these walls as we gather who do not know Christ. He might even want you to engage a stranger, the cashier, the, the person who does a, a service for you in your home or whatever that might be. Wherever God's given you influence, he's called you to make disciples, to go and make disciples of all nations. And so the question today, are you passionately engaged in Jesus's mission or are you just creeping around watching those who are just observing, disengaged. A true disciple is passionately engaged in the mission of Jesus. And one way we engage the mission is to tell others who Jesus is. And so this week, I wonder, I want you to think about it today. I want you to think about it right now. And this is going to be our prayer today. Two things. One, uh, first of all, the question is this, who are you going to engage with the gospel this week? Who are you going to tell Jesus about? Who, who are you going to tell Jesus about what, or tell about what Jesus has done in your own life? It could be that simple. Who are you going to tell about Jesus this week? I want you to think about that. And then this is the prayer. This is the response today. One, we've all fallen short in this area. So the first thing is we all need to repent. We all need to just admit we've gotten it wrong. We've fallen short. We've dropped the ball. There have been people we should have told about Jesus and we didn't. We were afraid. We, were, we didn't want to be canceled, whatever. We need to repent, number one. And then number two, I want you to pray for that person who you're thinking about and ask God to give you a clear opportunity to share Jesus with them, a, a quiet space. They sit by you at lunch, whatever. Just ask God to give you that divine appointment with them and pave the way to have that conversation, whatever it might be, and then be ready. Pray with anticipation that he's going to answer it and then just be ready. And even if it doesn't feel comfortable or even if it feels like it's not convenient, like God hasn't answered your prayer, if they are in your path, you go ahead and take that opportunity. Listen to the Spirit this week because it could be a stranger and you go, that's my opportunity. And then you got to take it. And so one, we all need to repent. And two, we need to pray for the person God's putting on our mind or that opportunity that he will pave that way. So let's pray. God, thank you for John's example, both last week and this week, that we've been able to look to not only his humility and having the right heart as one who paved the way and pointed people to you, but Lord, now in his behavior of actually fulfilling the mission that you had given him. God, I thank you for his obedience, and I thank you it's because he was passionately engaged in the mission, and he pointed people to Jesus that we're here today. Because one after another, disciples started following, started believing, and started following after you. And so, Father, today I repent where I have fallen short of the Great Commission, where I've not obeyed your instructions of me, I was worried about what somebody might say or think or whatever. Whatever that fear was, whatever the reasoning was, Lord, I repent. I've fallen short. And I thank you for your grace. And I thank you that I'm already forgiven in that. But Lord, 
I, I want to be mindful and more mindful of the people around me. I, I want to be more mindful of taking the opportunities and to be more intentional about engaging people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, telling them who he is. And so I repent, but I thank you that I still walk in forgiveness today. And then, Father, I pray for those who are they're thinking of that person. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's a, a mom that they eat lunch with, whatever it is, whoever it is. God, I do pray that you'd give them the opportunity this week. I pray that you'd give me the opportunity this week to engage those people with the good news of Jesus. May we be actively involved in this mission that you have called us to. I love you. Thank you that you love us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.